0: Good morning to a bright new world, stretching its limbs as the sunrise over the hills, growing up against the hiss and pop of a dying night's embers. Its adolescence, a spring mist and a loon's call. Life anew, its gift to be held with effort and care. The twinkle of dawn, something I'd die for if it asked it of me. The truest beacon of feeling alive, glory 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 praise be to whatever maker may remain atoms and dust the sturdy oak or the dying sun dirt and soil and a voice to shout over the mountains beyond the pines yonder the crevice of valleys where the swift fox nests and coddles new life into the thrust of a tumbling landscape glory We are here to witness the bounty and to take note of all the fleeting moments one by one, for we are the lucky vessels, privileged to stand on these soils that lead to the heavens, waiting just beyond the bend. Past the clouds and snow-capped trees, await so much more. Glory, glory, glory. Glory.
1: That was Glory, 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 written by Sean Hamilton and read by Sir Simon Russell Beale. That piece is all about the desire to be out amongst it all. And that is the loose theme attempting to knit together this first magazine episode of The Big Run. Desire. The desire for adventure. To try something new, to find the joy in what you do, and to look into the mirror and discover what it is that you really want. Coming up, we have an interview with Irish International 209 marathoner Stephen Scullion on his desire, hair systems, and the freedom in sharing. We'll also have regular features in every one of these monthly episodes from Jason Henderson from Athletics Weekly with the racing forecast and the run testers with their two minute review. But first, let me take you back to last Saturday when I spent a morning with London based Camino Ultra. Whose desire for adventure and connecting people to the outdoors knows no bounds.
2: I'm not being recorded now, am I? Oh
1: no! Everyone steps away when they see yeah. this coming. Out,
2: right? It's quite
1: intimidating. Don't be intimidated by the Big fluffy cat. I'm Danny. I'm doing. I'm sort of recording a podcast so after acclimatizing people to my windjammer and audio equipment i went looking for the run leaders of camino ultra camino is a small tribe of london-based ultra runners and coaches who pride themselves on organizing accessible local events that have less impact on the planet paula bedford is one of their running coaches and her passion for ultras is infectious
3: yeah it's a really good turnout isn't it and every, i just love it everyone's like full on that kind of bouncy excited when it's like yay we're going running together this is julie hi this julie is i'm danny hi, Dan. uh, this how is nabil how
1: are you doing Catherine.
3: saw some people on route i was like i think they're coming
1: i'd catch up with paula later she went off to greet more runners as they arrived That'll hi there hi. hi i'm paula i started chatting with pen and jew who have been friends for 24 years and have four 50ks to their name and were the first to arrive in matching outfits and trail gear
4: Well, we'd seen them on Instagram actually, and we really liked what they did. It was very sort of community based and and very all inclusive. And some of the routes they did looked really accessible to us. So they were our first Ultra Run. That was last April. um, We did a 50k with them last April. Yeah. How was that? Yeah. It was was, good. It was was amazing. It was fantastic, wasn't it? It It just started something, didn't it, in in us. And it gave us a really good focus throughout the winter because it was April just to train. And yes. think, right, we're just going to do it and see how we get on. They're very inclusive and very supportive, aren't they? Yes. You know, if you do any trail run race, people are always, oh, well done, you're doing fantastically. Yeah. Or, you know, going. each other along. And all age groups. Yeah. All... Anyone from any walk of life, I think, can do it. You're not pressured to run and, at a pace. and be at a particular pace and, and, you know, be the winner. It's about you, actually. And, and being just outside and being in nature yeah, and just enjoying the adventure. Yeah. So much of it is the adventure for yeah. us. I isn't think, it? yeah, adventure and nature is a really big mm. thing for us. And being in beautiful places that you haven't been before. Mm, yeah. I mean, I was born down the road from here and lived not far from here, and I've never been here
1: yeah. pen and you went to get warmed up and i started to chat to some of the other runners who had ventured to an indeterminate lay-by on the a1 where the trail began looking for adventure including home of the dog who mistook my microphone for a cat hi here? carl i'm danny nice to hi, meet you, you who's this this
5: is Home. <laughs> 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 he's got a toy that looks like that so i know <laughs> yeah.
1: i know this is probably yeah it's, this is uh it's very neat. appetizing he's not so, uh,
5: used to this many people so it's a uh, Bit different from his normal canny cross definitely. So
1: he's coming with you today then?
5: He is, yeah.
6: yeah. Like for me, like I like to have something to focus on and I like to go new places. So never heard of the Dolles Valley Green Walk. Um so yeah, really great to find new places to run. Well from Chicago so I can't say
3: I did any trail running in Chicago. <laughs> I've been here for four and a half years and i have been doing a
6: lot of trail riding since we launched here' it's Saying that we've been really enjoying doing jigsaw puzzles, so when we saw that the, the medals are jigsaw themed, it was like perfect.
1: Then I bumped into David Bone, one of the co-founders of Camino, who gave me a little overview of the journey of the group and the route the runners were taking on today.
2: Hey Danny! Oh, okay. how are you doing? Really good, buddy. How are you today? Yeah, good, good. What another beautiful day, yeah? I can't believe how many people are here. This is our tribe. This is our gang. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Man. How many people are you expecting today? Then I thought three, So I don't know who all these others are. There's <laughs> <laughs> this is sort of um, wonderful feeling, isn't it, Danny, that I know you share about the kind of community that we're in, which is just always thinking about ideas of how bring people together in the most simple form. So, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time over the last 15 years running with my friend Darren and in amongst these kind of runs that we've been doing, we've always been thinking, you know, how do we introduce some of this wonder? to other people you know so yeah Camino was an idea that we had for a few a few years we started run coaching and we've been run coaching for maybe about three or four years we kept traveling away from the A1 to, to the lakes to Wales you know abroad for races which is a wonderful thing to do but we recognize that sometimes you know we want to reduce the impact uh, be able to do things on our doorstep and recognize that there are trails in london you know there are forests and things that we're going to experience today so yeah there's the first seed of camino was to introduce that kind of ability to race inside of london people that are looking for something beyond the kind of marathon but you know in in a very inclusive way danny you know so to help people recognize that It's in a very achievable distance with a a small level of of training. And yeah, so we've been doing that post the pandemic. It's been a wonderful feeling, but we have been doing all of these smaller routes ourselves over the last couple of years. And, uh, And another seed was to try and get people who perhaps weren't quite at that ultra distance level to experience the trails and then maybe see how shorter distance trails could be linked up. So you see where I'm going Danny? Oh, Hooking yes. them in. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> you Take that five miles and you add it to that six <laughs> to miles. the gateway drove. And then a twin. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. And we drew up like this map of London. Yeah. The idea was to kind of make them fill the kind of four quadrants of London. So the first one was in the centre which was uh, a route around uh, the kind of three parks of Hyde Park, Green Park and St. James's Park. Whereas today we're in northwest London in the wonder of uh, Dollis Valley. And this is very different. So we know that the first few miles are going to take us through woodlands and lots of mud, Danny. That's what we're hoping for. And then yeah, you go through these amazing parks and then it takes you to the sort of fringes of um, Amster
3: oh, I think we'll do a little intro. We might just do a little a little warm up, I think. Because um, it's a bit cold, no, isn't just it? Do some...
2: Myself and Paula are going to be towards the back. So if you want to split off into two groups, fine, we'll be. And as Paula said, there'll be a re-gathering. And if any speedsters want to shoot off, then fill your boots. Have a great time, yeah, and hopefully see some of you at the end. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: cool. Right,
3: let's do. Of oh, course, wait there. Just got to load the route on my watch. All right, then, everyone, let's go.
2: I always uh, love this cute. first section, Danny, because uh, it's quite easy to get lost in these woods. When we did the first route, Danny, um, I I was really pleased that, you know, we managed to keep everyone together, but that was with definitely, you know, taking the the foot off the pace, having a couple of uh, stops, and look, we lost already, Danny.
1: (laughs) So I've driven on to the next checkpoint and just waiting for the first traces of Camino to appear out of the woods. I can see them en masse, in the distance. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Made it, how's it going?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's going. We've just uh, been running through some muddy fields, but there were some beautiful spots, the sun was shining, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a really lovely, lovely little section. Um, yeah, little little navigation tweak I had to make after leading everyone over a a little stream, slightly off route, but it's all part of the fun.
1: <laughs> all part of the fun. <laughs> then I bumped into Sarah, who was using the outing as part of her training for an upcoming marathon.
2: How's it going?
6: It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you starting to feel it. Well, I'm I'm injured. Oh, what's your injury? So I have a tear. Strained TQL muscle. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I'm actually not supposed to be I'm only supposed to be doing six miles easy today, so I'm being a bit naughty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do that too sometimes. <laughs> I just don't sort of tell my coach. See, well, I did
6: well I did just I'm trying i I was having the debate like do I am I honest or do I, can I say I will be
1: honest? <laughs> it's worth it though for these kind of things. It
6: is. Like it's it's more like look, I need this for my uh my mental health <laughs> yeah. and getting out of the flat being social.
1: Is that one of the main reasons why you do it? For the sort of the mental benefits, the feeling clear. But out? also
6: I'm fiercely competitive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am training for Boston marathon right now. Oh boy! Right. But yeah,
1: so it's <laughs> So it's a bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like the social aspect, you know, but I also want to But work. I also wanna yeah,
6: <laughs> I wanna beat my previous times and
1: how's it going ladies up ahead
6: how's the route been so far it's been good it's lovely
1: challenging or okay so far no okay the first hill
4: going up was a good warm-up yeah (laughs) oh it slightly knocked you back a bit yes but there's lots of downhill which is nice too so no it's lovely
1: i'm going to check in with you guys a bit later enjoy the rest of it bye and off they go into the distance, 5K in. I'm in Barnet now, even just recording this. I never would have in a million years been in this little local public park that just sort of skirts the fringes of the Dollis Valley Green Walk. And it's awesome just seeing them come out of the forest. It was quite a spectacular sight seeing 20, 30, I think even maybe 40 people all kitted out in their trail running gear looming out of the forest and touching the border of suburbia all of them Londoners themselves but just dipping in and out of all the accessible and amazing greenery that's that's on London's doorstep and and, uh, I'll see them at the finish just pulled up at the final checkpoint just in front of a little pathway that feeds through into the Hampstead Heath extension waiting for the ambience of dog walkers and birds to be broken by the footfall of 40 plus trail runners i see someone in the distance i see someone else in the distance i can't tell whether they're part of the park ah here they come Woo! you threw a shortcut yeah Well done, Hello. well done. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Gonna join you for the final finish. Yeah. How's it been?
3: Yeah. Actually, we have just had really nice couple of K chatting, weren't we? We just yeah. kind of like fell into a nice pace together. And it's been really nice. Just yeah. sharing experiences. And, Kind of been sharing like what you naturally pick up. What did, what's the word you used? Osmosis. <laughs> yeah, like was well, the way you naturally pick up, um, like, a, like someone else's, another runner's way of approaching something. Okay, you end up like kind of naturally taking that on board. And I was saying that, yeah, so that, that kind up, of, yeah, that part of the kind of learning you get from running in a group and within a community is quite natural. Mm. The sort of inspiration you get from other people and little tidbits of advice, the way they approach things kind of all and you find people that inspire you and
1: what have you absorbed together. today then do you think?
3: Something that I've kind of reinforced from doing this is is the kind of joyfulness mm. that you can get from just taking yourself somewhere a little bit outside your familiar comfort zone or the area you live, meet some new people. It can for me personally it feels really like it's when I feel really alive and happy, and I know yeah. you know I'll be buzzing for the rest of the day yeah. and the week off the back of having had this chance to, to run with people. So, because I think running kind of puts you in touch with kind of quite deeply who you are as a person. But yay, we're here this
1: year! <laughs> go, go, go! Final <laughs> finish! Final <laughs> finish. <laughs>
3: yes! Uh, this is great, like that you come out onto the yeah. like, How was it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Chilly start, but a nice sunny finish. You just forget how much fun it is running through the mud.
0: Perfect way to start a Saturday. Very lucky with the weather. Muddy trails, fields, undulating, flat, up, downhill, park paths.
7: Yeah, it's a bit of everything.
0: I would no idea where I was until you come out and you saw signs of Finchley. Like, okay, places I've heard of. Before thought like, I wouldn't have been able to put it on a map whatsoever, I had no idea in London. I mean, it's also when you're running in a, a group like this with an organised trail, if you're going to do this, you need to plan it if you're doing it by yourself or with someone else. You need to plan you need to know where you're going, you need to maybe do a recce, but if you're just doing it and someone's already done that for you and you just need to follow them, it's like 50% of the stress taken away from it straight, straight just turn up at this place at
1: this time and we'll get you home as well so yeah how did this one get on
5: yeah he loved it some nice little bits of water for him to go in as well with streams of dallas valley yeah he loves it i think we may need to give him another bath before we get on the train to head back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he loves this kind of stuff and
1: then i headed over to chat to david who was handing out the wooden jigsaw puzzle pieced medals for the completers of today's challenge
2: nabs has kindly got the two see and the second one is the official. Dollis Valley sign and you can see the two jigsaw pieces oh. and so it begins. The, the route three Danny fits between one and two. No. It's just giving, he's giving you an itch you're going to have to scratch next if month. If you build it, more and more next time, yeah? Come again
1: Danny. <laughs> fancy collecting your own jigsaw medals, then head over to Kaminaultra.com or join their Strava group. I'll leave those details in today's show notes. If you are heading for adventure, then you might want to check out Garmin's latest offering with the Epix watch, which is the subject of this month's two-minute review, courtesy of Kieran Olga of The Run Testers. Roll the intro.
5: First up, we got the Garmin Epix. And for ages, we wanted a big sports watch brand to treat us to a fully-fledged outdoors adventure watch that came with a bright AMOLED smartwatch quality display. We wanted it without having to sacrifice battery life. Now, it was a massive ask, it's kind of even a luxury, but we actually have it. The Garmin Epix has kind of answered those prayers. The Epix is essentially a Garmin Phoenix. It carries much of the same tech, has the same kind of robust and rugged shape and virtually the same comprehensive feature set. You'll also pay a Phoenix equivalent price for it anywhere between sort of just shy of £800 pounds up to £1,000. Now what makes the Epic stand out from its chunky relatives is that crisp, bright colour AMOLED display. It's a shinier window into your runs and adventures, and even the new Phoenix 7 looks dull by comparison in almost any light. So that vibrancy definitely comes at a cost you will of course sacrifice some battery life over the newer phoenix range and there's no endurance enhancing solar charging skills on the epics either but with the battery life that lasts up to 16 days in the smartwatch mode 42 hours in gps mode and the option to tweak the power modes to extend it up to 75 hours runtime the epics actually serves up that smartwatch sharp screen without falling into that trap of needing daily charging now beyond that handsome face does this newcomer really have enough to kind of supersede the Phoenix and the massive battery life Garmin Enduro and the Chorus Vertex 2, which has an enormous battery life? Well, unless you're after a running watch that can handle multi-day ultras and you're willing to trade a longer battery life for that killer screen, the answer really is yes. This is a brilliant tool. It's a do-it-all kind of dynamo that comes close to being the perfect package for runners. It's great whether or not you're training one hour, seven times a week, or you're gonna be going out and doing long stints and longer kind of outdoor ultra adventures. Beyond battery life, there are a few compromises up against those other watches as well. And that screen makes it actually the sort of king of maps and navigation. One warning though, once you've seen the screen in action, it makes other watches look dull and you won't want to go back. You have been warned. You have been warned.
1: The Run Testers will be back next month with another two-minute review. Now to our main interview. A 209.48 marathoner and 6108 half marathoner, Irish Olympian Stephen Scullion shares his Twitter highs and lows, the freedom in sharing, the greed of being a runner, the priority of mental happiness and what he sees when he looks in the mirror of Erisid. Harry Potter fans will, will get that or maybe just... Spell it backwards with your newly trained wordle skills. Roll the tape, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really excited to to dig into your story. Um, and I, I've just got to got to launch off our conversation by asking: Have you have you been on a treadmill recently? Because I saw on, on Twitter you got yourself into a little bit of bother talking about treadmills. <laughs>
7: You know, the mad thing is, is like, I I tweet this tweet. And then like my um, girlfriend, Katie Snowden, like texts me and she's like, didn't you just do a session on the treadmill? Like you're such a hypocrite. (laughs) And I was like, it was not the point I was trying to make. Like the point, the reason I actually tweeted that is because I went from running on the treadmill for eight reps, eight by K, And I was running super quick because it's, a treadmill and this is a good woodway treadmill like it's calibrated and stuff mm-hmm. but then i went in the park and i did so i jogged three minutes from the treadmill to the park and then i went in the park and i did it was a bit windy and all the rest of it and i did two by k in bushy park up and down the strip and i remember just thinking oh yeah back to real life like it's not <laughs> It's not as fast. It's not as fun. (laughs) There was wind. I did like, I think I ran 258 one way, for example. Mm. And then I turned and ran 308 because the wind was like a joke. And I ended up like, had I jogged home from the treadmill, I'd have been buzzing about my fitness and how amazing it is and how excited I'd be. But then I remember thinking like, yeah the outdoors a great leveler yeah. and like honestly like i uh, yeah like i i think i had read something a couple of days before the americans were getting all excited about what some guy had ran on a treadmill and and i clicked i think it was like 211 20 for a marathon this guy had just ran and and i mean i looked in his pb for an outdoor marathon is like 210 40 maybe Hmm. and and he you know he's named this thing on strava like progression run i mean i'm sorry like come on like progression run you're 30 seconds off your pb like (laughs) do we call that a progression run like that and and yeah like it kind of like two things kind of came together where i had this experience on the treadmill and then um i had this experience outside that you know felt harder And i gotta say like in the olympic village like in the in our holding camp Mm. In the physiologists were like messing about on the treadmill, and um, I I did like a little bit of testing because sometimes I use a little bit of treadmill testing to like assess fitness or whatever. And I'm running at like four thirty pace, maybe per mile, like twenty one kilometers an hour for anybody that's listening. Mm. And my lactate was like one point three, and we were like oh my God, Stephen, I think you can win. Like, <laughs> you can, like Kipchoge, watch out. And then, like, and then this is having just got off the plane from Flagstaff. And then I go to a session like two days later in the heat and on the outdoor track. And I was like, oh boy, I think the treadmill lied. Yeah. And, and this is the thing. Like, I think people are kind of like, there, there was a lot of like, oh, well, you know, if we can get people exercising in this, and I'm the biggest influencer on getting people to exercise and, and enjoy running and the, the benefits that come from that. And it was taken a little bit out of context. I was merely suggesting that there's times you'll run on a treadmill that is not calibrated and you'll think you're very, very fit when it's likely you might not be. And if you are, that's awesome. You know, well done.
1: Yeah. I mean, putting anything out on Twitter is always uh, an interesting experience, especially for, for an athlete with with your kind of profile, I mean, I've heard Twitter described as the asshole of the internet. And I feel like for <laughs> for discourse and a, any kind of reasoned debate, perhaps it's it's not the best uh, best platform for it. But it was interesting, yeah, reading some of the the responses with that. It was but very
7: th- mixed, wasn't it? There were yeah. some people like right on, dude. Like, i'm I know what you're saying. Like, and then there was other people like like one person like took it to like is this a is this an attack on the lady doing 100 miles a, a day or something or, or like a a marathon a day maybe like that and i'm like no <laughs> like what like like i think she's done it for charity like i'm not like i'm not the villain here like i'm not that i'm not that harsh um and then like the i mean i read another good one was like named like the four word record maybe holders on a treadmill and was like you know funny that their treadmill world records are slower than their outdoor, etc., etc. And and then at the bottom, she wrote so weird. And so I was like, "All right, I'll entertain this." And I I search one of the guys. I think his name's Tyler Andrews. I never had never heard of him previously, and I don't mean any offense by that. An American guy. I look him up. He's ran sixty three thirty eight on the treadmill. It's a PB, and it's faster than his outdoor PB. And I and I just like replied to her like you've you've kind of completely your arguments void instantly because like he's he is faster on the treadmill and then I wanted to write at the bottom so weird <laughs> like and, and yeah like it, it really it seemed to just get under people's skin a lot and I was kind of like in a way I was kind of trying to be like just take what's happening on a treadmill which is a brilliant thing to do if it's windy outside, if it's freezing cold, if it's snowing, if you live somewhere where you can't go on, brilliant thing, de- brilliant device, right? But take what's happening on there with a pinch of salt until you back it up outside. That's, and that's only if your goal is to race outside and run PBs, if your goal is merely to enjoy your treadmill in your garage Enjoy your treadmill in your garage. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry if I caused in any way (laughs) um, offense because it wasn't necessarily intended. It was kind of just a and and it could be a jab at like Strava in a way as well when like people are doing things that is like literally identical to their PB or very close to it and they're naming it like a casual run or like, you know, like tempo. Like half marathon pb at tempo well yeah that's what half marathon is you know it's a it's a tempo and tempo
1: is always a word that i think provokes a lot of discussion and sometimes confusion like what's what's your take on it
7: yeah fair good direction to go in um i i was actually talking about this on the run the other day because you have in my opinion i'm gonna say there's probably about three different ways i would use the term tempo so if i'm doing a marathony type tempo that refers very specifically to aerobic threshold, which would be um, very specific to um, sub two millimoles of lactate. It's a very specific type of tempo, and I would call that aerobic threshold. Um, If I'm then moving towards a half marathony type tempo, well, it's still technically threshold, but now it's an anaerobic threshold and it moves in the direction of the kind of time that you can handle for about one hour and now your lactate's between three and four the very loose term tempo could be used for effing anything It could be a 10K hard tempo race. It could be a like a, a three mile tempo in the park that like, you know, you can really use the term tempo as like, I mean, on Sunday there I did what I would call a tempo. Like it was a longer tempo, but I didn't really care about heart rate and I didn't really care about lactate. It was kind of like, I'll just do a longish tempo. <laughs> it's such a gray word. So um, gray. I'll do this longish tempo. And, I don't really care too much about heart rate and lactate. I kind of just want to see it's not a race, but I kind of just want to see at a good effort. Can I maintain a certain pace? Um, and and that's more of a, I'm going to say the other two tempo or threshold is, is very scientific based. The third one can really be whatever, whatever meaning you want it to have. It's not a race because we're not racing and training, but it could be anything from yeah like i mean i've done what i would call a 4 mile hard tempo to prepare for a 10k and it's probably almost race effort if not already race effort but i would just call that a like 4 mile hard tempo um but yeah it's a very loose word yeah. like yeah. The debate I mean, I
1: continues. Maybe, maybe throw that on yeah. Twitter and uh, and see see, see what no, happens honestly, in the comments.
7: I'm, I'm being very careful on Twitter. I need to like redeem myself at the minute on Twitter. I've upset a lot of people.
1: But I think <laughs> I think that's it's interesting. The 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 Twitter thing was something I wanted to start with because I think it's kind of indicative of of how you present yourself uh, across yeah. sort of social media on podcasts, on on Instagram, and yeah. and all the other kind of platforms. And I think that's kind of one of your. Kind of unique qualities is the the ease at which you're open to to sharing in terms yeah. of your journey, you know, your journey with your you know your performance as an athlete, your journey with with mental health. Do, do sure. you find that there's a there's a freedom you find with with the volume of stuff that you share?
7: Yeah, like I, uh, I mean, I, I. Oh, it's funny you say freedom because I I think in the ideal world we would all walk out our front door and and people listening, don't read into this too much. But I think in the ideal world, we would all walk out the front door completely naked with like nothing to hide, just Mm. everything out there. And I'm not, I'm not talking about being perverts or anything like that. I just mean the freedom that that would bring that you're just uncovering anything that you sit at home and be insecure about or worried about, or just let it all go. And wouldn't we live in such a world that would be way way different it would just be way less judgmental way less like you know superficial way less like perfect this perfect that and we we just don't live in that world Mm -hmm. um and so i i try to yeah open myself up to to share because i guess like maybe for all i know it, it releases burdens that i otherwise would have carried if like i mean if i only shared the good things or i only shared the good days which once upon a time that's that's how my social media would have been that's how my um i'd have only shared really quick tempo runs i don't tempo my god. I'd
1: have, <laughs> busted
7: <laughs> <laughs> i'd have only shared um you know like good races or good like and and now it's kind of like well like now i kind of just share a lot of things and 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 it's because like you know i, I kind of hate this but i i kind of feel like people would assume it's easier to share when you've when you've achieved good results and and maybe you'd be looked up to as like pretty successful or things like this, then maybe it becomes easier to share the bad stuff. but I don't necessarily know that that should be the case. I think I think we should all be quite capable to to show vulnerability, to show that we struggle. like I literally just said to the boys on the run this morning and I was like, you know what I love about last year. And I ran like 222 for a marathon and I dropped out of the Olympics and, you know, I barely broke 30 minutes for 10K. I love that it shows that I'm just not some freakishly talented, gifted athlete. I love that it shows if I don't get it right and I don't get the training right and, and maybe I'm not in a, in a great mental place, that that's the kind of results I'm also capable of, not just. Two o nine forty eight or or 6108 for a half marathon and it really shows on those days i i did something right to extract those results out of this body that's also capable of yeah like flunking boston and running you know like i said like 13 minutes off my pb it's not like it's not like i flunked boston but ran 213 Mm. you know i'm equally capable of like really tough results for me and much slower results and um and, and i like to show those two sides to me and and i'd invite anyone to be to be more open with the people around them and and there's this there's actually this it's not it's kind of relevant but it's kind of not there's this um i think there's an app and it's 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 essentially if you have plans with somebody and you you both don't want to go there's a there's an anonymous like a, it's hidden behind a, a firewall call it that you can click. Don't really want to go tonight, right? And then they can also click that. Oh, I love that. And and, and basically, it means like like and then if, if if you both have clicked it, it kind of tells you. And then you're kind of like, oh great. <laughs> like, oh my and, and god! Like, <laughs> but think about it. For all you know, the things you're vulnerable about talking about. For all you know the person in front of you or somebody that would listen is sharing that exact same vulnerability and and i think that works very similar in that way that if if you're quite willing to show vulnerability and open up a little bit that that yeah you'll probably find there's there's someone sitting right in front of you pretending they're not vulnerable as well and and they'll be delighted to you know share too and Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy because I'm not really ashamed of anything, um, about myself or, or how I carry myself or, you know, there's that thing on Twitter and everybody going mad and, and I'm this, I'm this terrible person talking (laughs) bad about people with treadmills. But what they don't know is that same day a a gentleman got on the bus, his card didn't work. And of the probably 12 people sitting on the bus, I get up out of my seat to use my card to scan him on that bus, complete stranger so i i can share things and i can because i know i'm i'm living my life the way i kind of want to live it and and i have my values and and how i go about my day and how i carry myself i'm pretty proud of the the person i am not just the the athlete or the fast runner that i am sometimes
1: i think that's what makes you so interesting and i think ultimately people are the sort of the nature of a good story is you have to have a kind of compelling three-dimensional character i think and being able yeah. to see uh, the highs and the lows forms an opinion or an impression of someone in your case you the athlete that is much more I- engaging by being able to have that level of connection like listening to your sort of latest podcast as a man with rapidly decreasing hair shall i say <laughs> you talking about hair systems i was like I I feel you man. I feel you on that. Like I I remember investigating something similar like hair transplants yeah. and stuff and then eventually I've just kind of embraced it and shaved it all off and it was like, oh, sure. but just hearing you talk about that I was like oh, okay, yeah. Cool. Like I I would be yeah. like, mortified when I started this podcast if someone had been like asked me about that. I probably yeah. would have evaporated in in shame like but now yeah. I'm much more confident with it but like hearing other people talk about it is just really Really uh, empowering, I think.
7: I think a long time ago, when I opened up little bits about mental health, it, it was kind of like, "Oh my goodness!" Like if you know, if if Stephen can open up about mental health, well, you know, gosh, maybe I could too. And I and I I found strength in that. And then I guess like I like I surely at this point we don't really care too much if someone's bald or not, or if they're wearing a wig or not. Mm. And like I'm I'm joking with the therapist yesterday, like he was like you know what's your your my biggest fear would have been running around the park and half of it hanging on and, <laughs> and the other half like waving in the wind and then i was like but actually there'd be a real element of comedy to that like like think about it it's funny <laughs> you know it's like so what you're, you're going bald? so it's like you know, 40%, 30% of the rest of the population. Like there's like, I didn't know this, but like when you start Googling this stuff, like there's a load of celebrities, there's,
5: mm-hmm. you know, this
7: is, this is not really a, a big deal at this point in life, you know? And and so like, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I mean, I'm actually not wearing it at the minute. Um, I've kind of realized as a as a runner, it's kind of a it's probably great if you if you don't sweat all the time and and like I finished the gym today and jumped in the sauna and what I don't want is ever to I don't want it it for it ever sorry to create like an inconvenience to my day and mm. and of course if I got a sauna after gym or refused to get in the sauna after gym because I was wearing a fake head of hair then it would be interfering with like my life I suppose but mm. I kind of feel like it could be quite funny whereby like I make something that could be quite embarrassing and but i kind of like change my hair all the time and so people be like oh my goodness like i wonder what hair scully's gonna have Love today it. like <laughs> oh my god he has an afro like this guy just- <laughs> and they kind of like it becomes like something that's just just funny and, I, and i'm not trying to be fake about it i'm, I'm not trying to pretend that you know Oh my hair just grew back! Oh my god, that's mm, amazing! Mm. Like my friends, know it's not bloody growing back. It's been it's been dying for like ten years. Um, but I but yeah, I I, I sort of found comedy in it, and I it, it's something that I really wasn't maybe a, a while ago. I'd have been embarrassed about it, and and no, now I just I don't mind as much. And so like I feel like there is such par in opening up about things like that because. Then you don't need to be worried about it, or concerned about it, or insecure about it, or. But the joy it gave me, even only for a couple of days, there there's a lot of joy in having hair flinging around.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh God, the 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 dream. But it's also interesting hearing you talk about it, and and with that subject in particular, often, and I found it myself as well, is that ultimately the person who cares the most is is you and the people around yeah. you. Don't care either way, like you know. And if you can take the opportunity to see the funny side of it, like you know, you rocking up on a start line with a with a pink wig or or oh, green yeah. green ponytails or w- whatever it would be, like that. That's that's awesome. And I feel like I feel like runners go on that journey with their own kind of performance. What your relation to it is outside of everyone else, like people's expectations, you know, at your level in terms of performances and stuff. Like so, in terms of your relationship with running let's dial all the way back like when did it start for you when did it become something that was like a really important part of of your life
7: I mean so I guess my initial upbringing to running I, I I mean I really disliked running like my my sister went and I think she was you know pretty good and um my my parents probably it was probably honestly from Belfast. It was a kind of like let's get Stephen doing something that he's not just like hanging around the streets and um and and things like this. So I was kind of forced into it, but but then I but then I didn't really take to it right away. And and I seen it as like oh I'd rather be playing you know football with my friends and and like I'd I could tell you stories about like my dad bringing me to like a big forest and and saying right go for your forty minute run and there'd be a group of like. I remember a group of like three or four of us going on a run and like it was myself, my friend, and then these two girls and we'd run into the bushes and just be snogging in the bushes. (laughs) And then like a good 30 (laughs) minutes later, run back out. (laughs) That was your workout. Oh, so good. And like, I, I really didn't love it. Um, and then I guess like as you get good at things and, and there's nice perks. And, and honestly, I feel like I've opened up about this more recently. But like, I mean, I was really forced into running and like, I mean, I was threatened and all sorts if I didn't keep running. And 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 I guess like that can sound like quite harsh, but also like I've accepted a lot of that because if it wasn't for, you know, maybe being forced to do it or or things like this, like I wouldn't be where I am now. And I really do... See myself like I said as 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 a really great person, but also a really great runner. Like I'm not stupid. My results are very fast. Um, and so I guess the good has to come with the bad. So I probably started on this like rocky path with running, and I and I really didn't love it, and and I didn't like pushing myself in races, and um I didn't like the training. I used to give up a lot. I used to doubt myself a lot. Um, and then I. Then I kind of, I guess there was a big turning point in like 20, 2004, 2005, a, a coach called Damien Gill went to uh, basically a, a conference with Alan Story.
1: Mm.
7: And Alan Story introduced what we now class threshold running, you know, on that topic. And so Alan basically did this presentation and and talked about how you can do these Treadmill tests, and once you do the testing, you're given this, you know, holy grail heart rate figure, which is your threshold. And if you spend a lot of time at threshold, you you know you get pretty good. And and so all of a sudden, we started once or twice a week doing. It was really simple. It was just thirty minutes at this, you know, heart rate that we had been given after doing these treadmill tests. And and honestly, the results were fascinating. It was like all of a sudden you went from we used to do 30 minutes around these fields and probably week one, I maybe did like 10 laps. And then honestly, by like week six, I was probably getting like 13 laps at the same heart rate. And it was, it was, it blew us away. Um, and so all of a sudden things got specific and and the training got specific and it created great results. And then I went, um, and I think I came second at the school boys international cross country to, you know, a, a really great runner at the time called Lee Carey. Um, but I'd be real great runners like, you know, Mitch Goose, David Forrester, like these, these, these were titans to me. These were, you know, really great athletes. And all of a sudden, when I trained in a, in a, you know, a specific way, I think love for the sport came from success. And, and as you, as you seen that you could get better. And then what happens is, when you do well at a, at a competition like Schoolboys International, it opens doors to go to St. Mary's London Marathon camps, um, mm. you know, and 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 the, this opens doors. The wow, there's a there's a whole nother world that exists within this running, and um and but honestly, what sort of held me back was just myself, and um, I I was all over the place. I, I actually look back at my my childhood now, and and specifically probably from sixteen to. God, maybe like 26. And I just feel sorry for myself. Like it, it really makes me sad looking back at, at how much I was probably struggling with life and sport and, and you know, relationships and my emotions. And, and I really feel for the kid that had to go through all that when the likes of meditation didn't exist, you know, speaking to therapists, and it wasn't as as common a thing. And, mm. and yeah, like I, that really held me back in a way like it, because I would do three to four really good weeks training, and I'd get to a really good place. And then I'd maybe like, get really drunk one night and like, you know, run, run three mile home barefoot and then be injured for like, you know, two weeks. And it's like, come on. And I just, I wasn't, helping myself and and i yeah the that's why like there's there's a lot of inconsistencies with my results um and, and it was never it was never from a talent perspective the talent always existed i just wasn't able to psychologically consistently be in a good place that allowed me to sort of extract the best results out of my body and um i guess you know then now that i've settled down and it's probably this past five, six years that things have been a lot more professional-ish. There's still been random leaving camps, et cetera, et cetera, with you know, psychological issues. But way, way, like my lifestyle now is, you know, my my probably every day is probably better than most people's best day in terms of living the professional lifestyle.
1: It's interesting hearing you talk about your your kind of relationship to to running and I think relationship is a is a really key word because it yeah. it feels like a uh, something that is sometimes a healthy relationship or sometimes for you perhaps has been an an unhealthy relationship and I think when when I think of you as a runner I think of the the marathon distance mm-hmm. like how would you describe your relationship with the distance now and what's the journey that you've been on to sort of get to where you are now w- with that distance? Like, would you say you're in a healthy place with it? Would you say you're in a not so healthy place with it? And what's kind of been that that journey for you? I, I,
7: I'll i not lie, like 2021, it kind of rocked my confidence a bit with the marathon because like, I guess up until 2020, my progression curve was 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 brilliant like it was it was ridiculous it was like um i think like 217 215 214 213 211 209 you know that's three or four years in a row of just consistently getting better and and it being really simple to track that progression like for example the first time i wore super shoes was when i ran 215 55 in 2018 and so all of that progression came under the same circumstances. So it wasn't that I ran 15, 14, 13, 11, and then wore super shoes and ran 209, for example. It, it, the super shoe thing had came in long before my progression um, sort of like existed. And so the progression really came from um, better training, more training, learning from previous marathons, mistakes. And And it all seemed really simple. And I just genuinely believed, even if I wasn't fully prepared, that I could run a pretty good marathon. That was my honest, I had such confidence about that. Because I just believed I had this ability to no marathon effort. and, And I am blessed in the lab with like a, an incredible, what's known as running economy. Like it's world. my running economy has always been amazing. World-class. I don't, basically I don't use much fuel when I'm running. Um, and, and so then 2021 happens and I'm like, Oh, sugar, Damn, not that good. <laughs> like, um, And it, and it changed. Yeah. It changed things quite a lot because it was like, gosh, like God, I, I, I mean, I used to think I could just knock out a marathon no problem, like, and and it all of a sudden my results in 2021 make it look like, like I wasn't fit at all. But like that's simply not the case. There was, there was good training at times. There was little pieces of good training and sprinkled in, and even when I go back and look, I think, gosh, like, it wasn't that bad? Like, come on. And and I, I think I was unfortunate that one race was super hot and the olympics and i had just had like a big mental breakdown and um, and that was a tough one and the next race i basically prepared for it like didn't run up a single hill for 10 weeks like literally not exaggerating just did not run on hills and then went and ran a course like boston mm it undulates from that you start on a downhill and I'm like, Oh my God, what is this? I, woo, I don't know what to do here. Do I <laughs> run hard? Do I hold back? What do I do? And I think I just, I don't know, maybe I was silly, but, but 2021 definitely changed it. And now 2022 is kind of, um, I guess like I, I it's trying to get things to go Back in, of course, a similar direction to 2020. Let me let me be clear that what created the result in 2020 was obviously sensible training during lockdown. But then I also went on a on a training camp with like the now European record holder Bashir Abdi, and an Olympic medalist and Mo Farah, who we don't need to talk about his credentials. And so I think there has to be an understanding that would say if you were a golfer and you went on a camp for six weeks with Tiger Woods and you came back and played your best ever round, that might not be your new norm, that it might have just came as a result of that camp. And so I need to be careful in 2022 that yes, the goals are to get back, hopefully, to some of these really great results that I've been able to produce, but not to be like super disheartened that they don't instantly get back to the result that I created in, in 2021. And that I'm, I do believe 100% that I can get back there. Um, but I just know that perhaps I took a few shortcuts because of how aggressive that camp was and how hard, and you can't always train that way. And so it might not be possible to get back there straight away. It could take, I might need to go and run two 1030 again, or like, it, and, and get back there in a in a safe but sustainable way versus our mantra for that camp was get fit or get effed that was it that was it so we we went hard every day and so it's not necessarily sustainable and you know it's 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 risky and and i gotta be honest you can't train that way for like an olympics because the risk of getting hurt is way too high but for london 2020 I was already qualified for the Olympics. It didn't matter if I got injured before London 2020. It, it obviously wasn't a nothing race, but it kind of was. It didn't matter. It wasn't qualifying me for anything. You know, there was no money on the line, et cetera, et cetera. It was just, if you can get really fit, go race. If not, no big deal, move on.
1: Going to take a pause from Steven now to throw over to Jason Henderson with this month's racing forecast.
8: Well, the indoor athletics season is in full swing at the moment, and Jakob Ingebrigtsen, the Olympic 1500 meter champion, runs in Levan in France on Thursday, February the 17th. So that's definitely one of the the big events to keep an eye on in in coming days. A couple of days after that meeting in Levan, we've got the Muller Indoor Grand Prix, which is on Saturday, February the 19th, and that's going to be a, a power-packed meeting full of lots of big stars of the sport. Laura Muir is going for Maria. World Indoor Record for a 1,000 metres, which is 230.94, which was set in Stockholm back in 1999. Quite a tough record. It's obviously been been around for a long time, but Laura Mule's in great form, won an Olympic medal at 1,500 metres last year, so... You know, she's really got her eye on that record, and I think she's come quite close to it in the past. Also at that meeting, the Muller Indoor Grand Prix in Birmingham, we've got Keeley Hodgkinson, who's racing 800 metres, the sprinter, Elaine thompson Hera For field event fans, there's Paul Volta, Mondo Duplantis. You know, there's loads of, of really good athletes there, and I believe this meeting's been shown on BBC as well, so that's really one for, for the running and athletics fans to really get stuck into. On the same day as that, We've got the Rack Half Marathon in the United Arab Emirates which, which nearly always produces super fast times. I think they build the course there as being the the fastest half-marathon course in the world. And among the entries they've got for that meeting is Bridget Koski, who holds the world record for the marathon. So that's certainly an event that's worth keeping an eye on. The following weekend after that, on Saturday, February the 26th, it's a, a huge and pretty historic weekend for domestic distance runners in the UK because we've got all the national cross-country championships Around various venues. So in England, we have the English National, or just simply the National, as a lot of people call it, which is sponsored by Sorconi these days. It's held at Parliament Hill. There'll be thousands of people running on the course, loads of spectators as well. That's a really busy big day with an event that I think it started back in the, the 1870s it has a huge amount of history it's obviously a very famous event so that's a, a big date on the on the winter calendar other countries have their national cross-country championships as well up in Scotland their national cross country is in Falkirk in Wales they're they're in Pembury Country Park which I think is just outside Swansea and the Northern Ireland Championships is on as well in Derry so it's a really busy weekend for all the cross country enthusiasts and also in track and field athletics fans on on the same weekend there's like a a mega clash of fixtures we've got all these national cross-country championships on and we've also got the the UK athletics indoor championships in Birmingham which is the trial for the world indoor championships in Belgrade which takes place in the middle of March and this event is going to have most of, of Britain's top track and field athletes Obviously, a few of the distance runners are going to be diverted towards the national cross-country championship events, but a lot of the sprinters, hurdlers, jumpers and throwers, middle distance runners, etc., are all going to be at this national indoor championships in Birmingham, which I think at the moment is due to be streamed on the British Athletics website. And then as we head into early March, we've got the World Indoor Tour, comes to a climax in Madrid on March the second. Then, when we get into the middle of March, we've got a real climax to the domestic cross-country season with lots of these big championships all, all taking place. We've got the inter-counties cross-country championships on March the twelfth, which is at the now familiar venue of Prestwald Hall just outside Loughborough. That's always a, a big juicy event on the winter calendar for cross-country fans. And then the weekend after, March the 19th, it's the English Schools Cross Country Championships, which is in in a place called Hop Farm in Kent. So the English Schools Cross Country Championships in Kent has been in the news quite a bit in the last few days and weeks, as people might have spotted online. They're basically searching for a sponsor. They were sponsored by New Balance in recent years. Before that, they've had sponsors like Sainsbury's, Aviva, TSB. know some listeners might even remember the championships being sponsored by milk the milk marketing board i think back in the 1980s so they've always gone through periods of having having quite a bit of support from from big companies but they're without a sponsor at the moment the new balance deal has ended and there have been a few people online that have written these quite you know quite passionate pleas for sponsorship basically the english school's athletics association themselves are saying that if they don't find a sponsor soon that they might not survive until their centenary year which is in three years time which would be a bit of a travesty an organization that's been going for almost 100 years just just having to fold because they they haven't got any sponsorship so the event on march the 19th is in Kent. It's the cross-country championships. The big track and field annual championships will be held. It's usually in the middle of July. It'll be held in the, in the middle of July in the summer. But yeah, they're really searching for a sponsor at the moment. And uh, hopefully one will come out of the woodwork soon to give them some much needed backing.
1: Thanks, Jason. Lovely note there about the English schools cross-country. See you next month. Now back to our interview with Stephen. Do you think by not having that level of pressure that sort of freed you up slightly for London? For the, are we talking about the elite race here, the sort of the, the looped version around St James's Park?
7: Like it was kind of like the gloves are off, and let's just let's just give this a go. Let's just really dive all in, and 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 remember what also worked quite well was most people, I hope for for three four months, had trained a little bit easier because of COVID and no races and lockdowns and. Um, and I think we all, all the guys that went up on that camp to font, you know, Jack Rowe, myself, Andrew Butchart, Mo um, Bashir, like we all kind of went up there a bit fresher than normal. And then just kind of were like, all right, let's get after this. Let's, you know, let's, let's really work here and um, no risk, whatever happens happens. And um, yeah, there was probably a freedom to that. I mean, with, with literally with 10 weeks to go, I think Spencer Barden had emailed my agent Haas to say, like, is Scully doing this race or not? Like, what's he at? Like, blah, blah, blah. And like, because we didn't know. And then that camp was all about getting fit enough. I think I raced a 10K before I went to Font and I ran 29.15. Hmm. and then the, And then six weeks later, I run quicker for a half marathon twice than I did in that 10K. And that's how quickly and how hard we push things along. Um, And yeah, I don't believe that I could do that all the time. And and I don't believe that if you pencil in a World Champs or Commonwealth Games or an Olympics, you'd say, Oh, I know how to train for that. we'll, we'll just do what I did in twenty twenty. Because the your your team around you, your medical team, your psychotic they'd be like, I don't know about that. Because if you get hurt, you you know, you you don't go. You're one athlete, you're one man, you're not five, you can't take those risks.
1: It's interesting. Just going back to the training camp, the the motto that you had, yeah. get fit or get effed. Like suppose, geez. Is there an inner dialogue with when you're part of that and that's the kind of mantra that's the kind of ethos is there is there an inner voice at all thinking like am i playing with fire a little bit here is this like is this the right thing i should be doing like do do you have that or are you just completely like committed to that sort of methodology for the training camp
7: i think i think a couple of things i i genuinely believe we can all push a lot harder than than what we think i think our bodies are capable of a lot more work than we believe there's just a there has to be a sensible enough way that you build to be able to handle what it's potentially capable of mm. and i think people don't have that patience with their motivation so people's motivation spikes and highs and lows and when it's high they want to really graft and grind and push and so they often over push and then on a day where it's not as high you know they maybe that's a day that they could have went again and worked hard, but they're not willing because they're not motivated. And so, um, I think it worked in a way that it built a nice level of motivation and and spark that created this. Like we, we, we would show up to runs, easy run Monday night. You've done a hard long run Sunday. It's a Monday night and I'd see athletes there. And I, I'm not trying to name drop or, or upset people or anything, but like, you know, Great athletes, Josh Griffiths, you know, and, and guys that are good runners. And I'd see them jogging around the forest loop. And, and I'd almost be like, Yeah, you're just jogging. We're 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 getting after it tonight. And we'd go and we'd average like 540, 545, and, and maybe they'd average 640, 645. And and I'm gonna tell you two things. One's quite funny. I'd almost judge them, even though two weeks before that's what I'd have done. But when I was in that mindset, I almost was quite judgmental, like, God, you aren't even trying. Like mm. my mum could come and run around that loop at the speed like um like she, you are jogging. And and then I'll tell you a good example of one day I was going to world half and an Ireland booked me a business class flight. I'd never flown business class and I'm sitting up in business and and I found myself like, Oh, don't touch me, economy. Go on, go fast. <laughs> get back the economy and i'm like who's yes, this guy like your first ever time in business class uh, and you're like you're like telling like, oh don't don't brush that bag against me get back <laughs> peasants and like and and it, it, it was it was a similar feeling where it was like god they're just jogging literally i then left fond and i probably went back to jogging but like it was mad that that mindset pushed mm. you to believe that you could you could push harder. You could work harder. You knew, and and running in a way like that—that that was Butchie. Butchie's Butchie is willing and wants to work hard all the time, and it's no wonder he's as, as successful as he is because he loves it. He loves working. He loves pushing. He he's what what inspired me probably quite a lot about Butchie is this is a guy will show up and there's twelve people going on a Wednesday run and and he'll get. 400 meters in and go f this you're running too slow see ya and away he goes there's no pressure he doesn't care And, and at the end of the day he's the olympic finalist and he's the world finalist and 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 he sticks to that he knows what he's out there to do and um and and yeah look i i think i think we are capable of i had to remind myself just sunday gone you know it's the first time i've done a longer kind of effort and i got like six mile in and i was like This isn't even hard. You can work harder than this. Come on. And and I guess that happens so natural in font because I was being worked every day. People were pushing me every day. And I was learning what is hard and what's not hard. I was quickly learning that, oh, that's not hard. This is actually what hard is um and i guess if you're not surrounded by people that are pushing you and working you you need to do that yourself you need to test yourself and can i work harder is this hard can i push a bit harder let's try and and you have to show yourself those limits or or lack of limits is what i would say i think we can all push a bit harder and work a bit harder than we believe
1: i think it's interesting absolutely i think and i think that's something really interesting to to reflect on was that during that Process within the camp that the, the the sort of the mental leap of you being like, I, I you know looking at those other runners and thinking like you're going too slow like that was the yeah. sort of the additional element to add into that training camp, alongside all of the workouts and and the running and and the SNC and and whatever whatever else was involved. Yeah. Like, do you feel like that's the sort of final frontier for for athletes to kind of explore that the mental side of their of their training in order to unlock their, the yeah, potential yeah.
7: and i think believing in your training but like you know i did i was doing these i mean there's no doubt what created the confidence was these long runs on a sunday you know we were we were nailing these long runs and they were just like long tempos basically and um like we were we were running anything from 16 to 20 miles and th- there's a couple of things I'll touch on here. You show up on a Sunday, there's 25 athletes. It very quickly separates into four or five groups. And there's no coach to tell you which group to go into. You you just decide, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I traveled to Font. I've just ran 29.15. And that was, yeah, that was probably like two weeks before I went to Font. I really hadn't done much. My first run in Font, Mo Farah asks me didn't you retire like 2 weeks ago scully mm. and i was like yeah i think i did like but here i am and but here's the thing nobody said i had to go with the front pack right i just chose to i just said this is where i want to be i want to be up getting stuck in and i remember the very first run ben ben connor was there mo bashir abdi and that was that was it for the lead pack the lead group and we were running probably 530 pace, 540 pace. I, I think I wanted to do 20, but I make it to like 15, and then I'm I'm done. I'm I'm spent. Um, and Ben goes on to do 25 mile that day at like 525. Big Ben Connor. He was flying. I think he was maybe a bit too fit too soon. And and here here's what kind of happens next. Like by week four or five, all of a sudden I do like, I think I did 20 miles one day an average, like something silly, 5'18". It's ridiculous. It's fast. It's hard. You know, no super shoes, just regular old runners. Mo and and Gary and um, Bashir. Well, Bashir actually says you can run 207. That was really impressive. Gary then said something to me that was, I bet you've never done something like that before or, or you know, along those lines. And I remembered in my head thinking, I kind of have. I just didn't realize at the time how impressive some of the stuff I've already done was and that that was one of the big things about that camp that seeing is believing hearing hearing Bashir breathe up a hill or or feeling that you know mo might have dropped off a little bit or that's really seeing and believing that you can be up there you belong up there and um, whereas when you do things by yourself you you don't give it the same credit that maybe it deserves. The moral there was that, you know, I've I, actually, we've all probably done things in training that are um, a lot more probably impressive than than we believe, but we just don't necessarily believe it because it's us. And like, I've, I've seen examples recently of athletes tearing around Bushy Park and and I can see how impressive it is, but you know, they probably assume that I'm in the park doing something way quicker or way better. And then they probably assume that like Mo or Bashir or, or these other runners or runners from other countries that they're doing even better than that. And and actually that's not always the case.
1: Mm. Yeah, your perception of other runners is, is always... Always so, so fascinating, even at my, you know, very, very amateur level, you know, seeing other people out there and you're convinced that, oh, no, they're going quicker than me or, oh, yeah, I need to be working harder and stuff. But a bit, I suppose that's really interesting. You talking about the training camp when you're actually in amongst it and you're hearing the other runners like, you know, breathing hard, working hard. It's, It's a much more kind of tactile experience and you're kind of getting that that haptic feedback of actually what what is actually happening and where each other is at sort of athletic level and i suppose as well what makes all of this possible to to train at these kind of camps and to train at the level you're training at is is the support i suppose that you have you know you have from your from your sponsors, and I know you've you've spoken about it in the past. There was a there was an incident when you were having a bit of a crisis of faith in your own ability, where you actually yeah. contacted UA to say that sure. you didn't want them to to represent you. I mean, that's got to be a quite a difficult phone call or email to to send as a as an athlete at your level.
7: I'll not go into too much detail, but there was um, periods. Uh, first of all, so Under Armour came on board in 2018, and I have to say, like this is it's very difficult to afford being a professional athlete and doing it correctly is not cheap. Altitude comes, Airbnbs, you know, rental mm-hmm. cars. There's, there's a lot of expense. You know, I, I mean, my expenses can be over 20 to 30,000 pound a year. For example, when we go through like expense reports and tax returns and things like this, like flights and, and altitude trips and Airbnb homes, and it all adds up. And so, None of this is possible without um, Under Armour coming in. They came in in 2018. Um, I think there's also a level of, wow, somebody believes in me that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that a brand like Under Armour support you in more than just the athlete, um, which which we can come to. Um, So... Yeah, the that's been fantastic. I also get support from um, Athletics Ireland, and I'm you know I'm a carded athlete, and 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 that helps. And um, it it doesn't mean that you can't be successful without. Like I'll, I'll I'll tell you, I came back from altitude not long ago, spent a bit more time in Teddington, and and seen a lot of guys around here, like Jack Rowe and Josh Grace, and. And, and Dan Jarvis, and I, and I seen them in that park working hard. And it's almost like my brain went, God, I thought people only really worked hard and, and got after it at altitude. You know, I, I was, it's almost mm. like I had been not brainwashed, but I was surprised that, you know, there was people here, which again, sounds really stupid, but people are cracking on all over the place. And so if you don't have the support of the sponsor and, and, you know, the, the funding, in it, it doesn't mean you can't crack on and actually I think part of the reason I struggled last year is I was happy to spend the money to go on these altitude camps and happy to invest the money but I wasn't doing the simple things well and right and that's if you know you don't have the money for altitude camps and you don't have the funding etc etc focus on doing the little things right focus on doing them really well And that's 90 to 95% of what creates a good race result. But look, so yes, Under Armour, we we went through a bit of a, like I was out of contract and um, there there was a bit of negotiation going on because uh, um, just to to re-sign a new contract. And so I was out of uh, of a deal. I I wasn't contracted for the first time in a couple of years. And um, I guess during that period is when I had a, a real like tough time mentally around the Olympic games. And, um, and, and then I, you know, I, I actually went on a, on a night out and I, I got pretty drunk and, and often when I would get pretty drunk, like I'd get a real sadness that would come with that. And, and maybe it was a sadness I'd been bottling up or, or, you know, trying to keep dug down or whatever you want to call it. And, and I just remember sitting one night in my apartment, like pretty sad, pretty unsure of myself because the Olympics had just gone the way it had gone. And it's like, I wasn't sure if I just wanted to be free of it all. Like, I mean, there is pressure comes with being a runner and being a professional. And, um, you know, there's a, there's an expectation that you put on your own shoulders that, you know, come from a sponsor come from being on funding, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I guess like, yeah, I send this email and, um, you know, the, the email is basically, yeah, like I, I, I go into detail about thinking I don't necessarily deserve the professional deal and look at how the year's just gone. And um I think I get a text, like this is probably 2am and I get a text like within 15 minutes and it's, it's my boss. um and, and, you know, she's texts me to ask like, Hey, are you okay? Like hmm. forget the contract. We'll you know, we'll get to that. We can discuss that whenever you want, but like, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? And, and I guess like, it's not that I, that was me probably realizing like, you know, holy shit. No, I'm I'm not okay. I'm actually really bad because, you know, this is like, this is a real low point probably for me. And, um, and yeah. And, and so then, you know, not only did Under Armour want to, you know, support you moving forward as the athlete, but, but that's when they moved in a direction of, well, Hey, you know, let's, like I, like I talked about on my own podcast, they wanted to get me not just a therapist or help from a therapist, they wanted to get me the best therapist for the job. Like, you know, they the CEO of the company, a guy called Patrick Frisk, he emailed me personally to to tell me that like, hey, this is this is gonna be all right. In fact, not only is this gonna be all right, we're we're gonna make sure you you flourish and you enjoy sport and, and you're back to your best. And and we're not talking about results. We're talking about you just being really happy and and really wanting to um to live and, and be alive and things like this. And it was a really, really cool moment. And um, I mean, I I didn't think somebody like Patrick was ever going to email. In fact, I thought quite the opposite. When you send an email like that, I sort of thought, "Oh my God, you're you're mm. scaring them away." But no, brilliant, brilliant response.
1: I love that as well. You saying that thing of, "We want you to be at your best," and the the best being your kind of best sort of mental self. You know, your kind yeah. of your ultimate happiness, because surely then that would be conducive. To the results like the results come later but the first kind of port of call for for anyone like anyone at all whether you're you're a runner or you're not has to be your kind of your mental fitness and mental health
7: yeah and i think what we don't sort of get is like what's the point in running like even like two seven if like after the race all you talk about is like oh i could have ran a bit quicker i could have mm. done this a bit better i could have what the f's the point like I'd far rather I and I mean this now seriously. I'd far rather run two twelve and be the athlete joking around when it's over and and not faking it. Like happy stood with a pint, being like, "Oh, love that! Wow, like that. That was hard, but loved that." Like you know that. That's that's the way I want to talk after a marathon. I, I I'm tired of being back in that headspace of oh, I wish this you know weather you know like shut up mm-hmm, like. Yeah just embrace what you've just achieved. Like it could be way worse. You know, your situation could be way, way worse. And, and yeah, like a, there's a, there's a greediness that comes a run in where you're, you're just never quite satisfied and, and the results matter. They do, but in, but in like 10 years, they'll probably just not matter as much. And, and there's a lot of days I wish I could repeat post-race where I'm just a bit, cheerier a bit happier a bit Mm. like not a big sulk you know like it's just like come on lighten up a bit and and i think that's the, the speed is brilliant and it's really cool when you run really fast and and don't get me wrong. Actually, actually it was tough for me to appreciate London at the time because of how tough the weather was. And mm. and I honestly felt like, I think I was almost traumatized after London with how hard that effort was. Um, but I can look back now, that's the conversation I had with the boys this morning, like having had the year that I just had, I can look back and be like, wow, like I really pulled something special out of my body that day. And, um, but I wish I appreciated it more at the time. And that's what I want moving forward is just, just the appreciate opportunities for what they are. Like I'm, I'm going to go to Paris and, and race and, um, and then I'm going to go to Rotterdam and, and you know, how cool is that? You know, like there's, I, I don't need to build these up to be, really really serious or you know i i really hope i'm still you know eating a croissant and drinking a coffee the day after the race delighted to to be in paris you know that that's that's where i want to get to
1: i love that i think that's that's so healthy and i think all runners of all abilities can can take so much from that everyone can chime with that inner critic that comes out after a race where they have a yeah. list as long as their arm of the trainers didn't fit right, the wind was in my face or oh, I should have pushed harder at this. Like ev- every runner is is so guilty of that. And I've never heard, heard it described in that way of that that greed mm. within running of like wanting more and not being necessarily happy with what you're already kind of achieving regardless. I think that's just a, a really lovely way of putting it.
7: Yeah, and I, I think sometimes what comes with that is just in a, like I, I've talked about this in my own podcast and it and it's just an acceptance of, what you have achieved, you know, just just accept it. Just and and look, there's a time and place for, you know, could it have been better? Is there things that I could have done better in the build up? You know, did the weather affect me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But never take credit away from yourself. That at the very least, you you showed up, right? And and you you put yourself out there and you showed up. And then I'm I'm assuming you worked pretty hard for X amount of time, and and you know if you finished and it's like, we just don't give ourselves the credit that we deserve. And all we focus on is, you know, the the could have beans. And, and I think, I guess, like, if you really practice, like being present and and, and being in the moment and accepting, et cetera, et cetera, you, you'll just accept it for what it is. And, and then there will be another opportunity in future. But I mean, if you're, it's kind of like, if you're not going to appreciate it for what it is, and you're not going to enjoy the experience, it's like, what's the point? You know, Mm -hmm. if like the point was never really to run really fast, like none of us got into running to run really fast. A lot of us kind of ran because we like to push ourselves and a lot of us maybe ran to lose a bit of weight and, and then maybe we ran because it releases all these chemicals and blah, blah, blah that, you know, some drugs do. And so there's an obsessive nature to it. But what didn't really run just to be faster. So why should that be the only thing on race day that allows us to be happy post race? It's it's just not. No, it shouldn't be like that.
1: I love that. I love that. It's such a lovely, a lovely sentiment, and that feels like a really really lovely point to to end our our conversation on. But before Brilliant. we finish, mm-hmm. normally at the end of each of my conversations, I like to ask a fairly kind of open, expansive question that you can interpret in any way, shape, or form. So I'm going to ask you this, what does the word desire mean to you as a runner?
7: For whatever reason, I move to, there's a scene, I love a chat, like, how do I do this? Uh, There's a scene in Harry Potter and they look into the mirror and in the mirror, you see something that you're, craven or seeking i think it's the seeking no 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 no. this mirror when when harry looks into it he sees his parents who have passed away and 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 they're holding him, and and etc etc when i think when ron weasley looks in it he sees himself holding the quidditch cup and 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 for me desire and running would be if you could look in that mirror and see what perhaps result or, or potential, whether it's standing on the Olympic podium, you know, whether it's, um, you know, winning your national champs. Um, to me, that's where the desire of your maximum potential, what is that maximum potential and what is it like, I guess your why and running, like, what are you really aiming towards? Um, and yeah, for, for whatever reason, when you mentioned desire, I just thought like, what, what do I really desire happens out of running and, and where I take the results to. Um, I love that. Yeah.
1: I love that. I love the Harry Potter reference. It worked. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I've really loved this conversation. And I've yeah, really, really grateful for you for, for coming on the show and being such a fantastic guest on the big run.
7: Appreciate it. And that
1: concludes our first monthly magazine. I hope you enjoyed. I hope it set you up for a weekend of running. If there are any stories out there that you think are interesting and you want me to cover, then please reach out on email at thebigrumpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And a big thank you to designer and illustrator and all-round creative genius, Mark Frudd, who has helped in redesigning the look and feel of The Big Run Podcast. I'm a big fan of it. I hope you like the new look of it. I'm really, really happy with what he's created. So definitely check him out and his work. I'll link to him in today's show notes. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And next week, we see the return of our traditional long-form interview with Philippa Bowden.
3: I can remember changing my wet spikes from doing a steeplechase like 10 minutes before the 4x400 relay and sort of saying to everyone, you know, you're putting me on last leg so that I can get catch my breath, but don't expect me to, like, win this thing for us because I'm knackered.
1: <laughs> and it's a really great discussion. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.